Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Lavinia. Welcome to There She Goes, where women writers share true stories of travel. Their stories, their experiences, told in their own voices. One of the reasons we started this podcast is that the first time Kelly and I met, we told each other travel stories. We were complete strangers, but after spending just a few hours trading stories about experiences in Morocco and South Korea, Italy and Greece, we were friends. Our travel stories connected us. We recognized them as important. And we came away from that first meeting feeling validated and inspired. This is the power of women's personal travel narratives. Consider our storytelling podcast a brand new passport, transporting you every week to a different place for a brief escape, sometimes far away, other times closer to home. Consider our storytellers your brand new travel friends, your sidekicks and sisters and guides. Or even therapists. And consider this your chance to hear some of the stories you may have missed. There She Goes is that simple. No chit-chat, no interviews. Just great storytelling by women travelers. We invite you to settle in for the adventure. Today we travel with Suzanne Roberts to Santorini, Greece, where a mother-daughter trip turns into an adventure that neither woman expected. Suzanne's books include the memoir in travel essays, Bad Tourist, Misadventures in Love and Travel, the memoir Almost Somewhere, 28 Days on the John Muir Trail, the forthcoming essay collection, Animal Bodies on Death, Desire, and Other Difficulties, and four books of poems. She was named the next great travel writer by National Geographic's Traveler magazine, and her work has appeared in the New York Times, CNN, Creative Nonfiction, Brevity, and elsewhere. I'm Suzanne Roberts, reading my story, Wing Mom. Oh, no, you don't. You're not going to jump off from there, Mother called out to me. I stood teetering on the edge of the schooner, the Aegean Sea below. In the distance, the whitewashed buildings clinging to the caldera's edge looked like a dusting of snow. It's deep enough, I said. I forbid it. She put one hand on her hip and pointed at me with the other. Mom, I'm 34. Then act like it. My mother shook her head. I leapt into the sea. As I climbed the ladder and into the boat, a sandy-haired stranger smiled at me and winked. I had noticed him as soon as we'd boarded the sunset cruise. He smiled at me then, and, being my mother's daughter, I smiled back. He didn't look like the usual Santorini tourist, sunburn, tennis shoe clad, a face tinged with an expression of awe and indigestion. What do you think you are, a bloody mermaid, my mother asked. Maybe. I said and looked at the sandy-haired stranger. My mother caught me. What are you looking at? She asked, though she already knew. After a hiking trip up Nia Kamini volcano and a swim in the cloudy warm springs, the tourists were settled back in the boat, drinks in hand, and the sandy-haired man played the saxophone, serenading the setting sun. My mother and I sipped Greek wine and listened to the breathy music, a sound both sassy and serious. 
Mother was scared of most things, which was why she didn't hike the volcano or swim in the sea. But she was also bold and brave in other ways. So it was mother who introduced herself to the saxophone player. It was my mother who asked Benny, that was his name, to ride the rickety cable car back up to Fira with us and then invited him to dinner. She got away with this behavior because she was a former beauty queen. And even as an older woman, she was still beautiful. Her British accent made her sound charming and funny, even when she was being pushy. It was as if she wanted to make sure somebody was going to have a Shirley Valentine experience in Greece. But communicating with Benny proved to be an ordeal, since he had a repertoire of about 10 English words. He was Albanian, but also spoke Greek and Italian. We managed on Benny's Italian and my broken Spanish, understanding about 7% of what the other said. We made it through dinner this way eating takeout gyros on a park bench. My mother shared her cigarettes with him. She pretended she didn't smoke until she had someone to smoke with. I don't smoke much, she would say, though any time she deemed it appropriate, she'd light up. And then she would blame me, saying, I only smoke because you make me nervous. And according to her, her high blood pressure had nothing to do with the cigarettes. That, too, was because of me. That Benny sure is nice, isn't he, Mother said, when he invited us to have drinks later at Enigma, a nightclub where he worked. I guess so. It's hard to talk to him, I said. Flirting with him on the boat seemed fun, but I didn't need it to go any further. He's handsome. Did you see he's missing teeth in the back, I asked. Don't be so judgmental, she said, which is what she often said when I disagreed with her about something. We wandered the cobbled streets past the tourist shops in Bougainvillea and then went for a couple of drinks at an Irish pub called Murphy's. When we thought it was late enough, we headed for Enigma, but still the bouncer told us we were too early. It was 10 p.m. Things wouldn't get started until midnight or later. Can we just come in for a drink, my mother asked. We know Benny. We entered through a neon-lit cave that looked like the tunnel where you wait in line for Disneyland Space Mountain, low curved ceilings, the purple neon glowing on the white walls. We were the only patrons in the club. We walked to the bar and ordered Retsina, which tasted like acetone. I asked the bartender how long the bottle had been open and he gave me a blank look. My mother told him, we're friends with Benny, you know. Then she turned to me and said, why are you always such a wine snob? It's fine. She smiled at the bartender and he smiled back. I used to work in the wine industry, I said, that's why. You have an answer for everything, she said, still smiling, the bartender. I knew I couldn't have been the first woman to come in looking for Benny after the boat ride but I may have been the first woman who had done so accompanied by her mother as wingman. We sat at one of the vinyl sofas with our acidic wine and my mother said, you're boy crazy, you know that? Me, you invited Benny to dinner. What are you talking about? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. In high school, you said you wanted to live with that boyfriend of yours. 
I was probably just trying to shock you. Besides, I was a child. Of course you were. You're still a child to me. And didn't I find condoms in your purse the night of your prom? You know the answer. Do I? She asked, all innocence. You know, I'm only passive aggressive because if I'm not, you accuse me of being critical of you. Being direct doesn't mean you have to be insulting, I said. Kill him with kindness. That's what I always say. For my mother, different truths existed in different rooms of the brain. At any given time, she decided which room to live in and whether or not secrets and lies decorated the walls. I'd learned to go along with whatever she wanted. So it didn't seem as strange as it might have when my mother and I danced with Benny on the empty dance floor, the bartender looking on with an amused smile. Or when Benny started calling my mother Mama, which she tried unsuccessfully to discourage because she thought it made her sound old enough to be his mother, which of course she was. When we returned to the couches, Benny squeezed in next to me. He went in for the kiss and I gave him the cheek. Want to see the rooftop terrace? He asked in Italian. The word terrace is the same in Spanish, so I translated for mother. You two go ahead, she said, waving toward the door. I'll stay here. She took a sip of wine. Thanks, Mama, Benny said with a grateful smile. I followed Benny up to the rooftop terrace. The lights of Santorini glimmered on the purple Aegean Sea. I breathed in the sea air, and he tried to kiss me again. I squirmed away, but not because of modesty. I liked Benny more from afar. The saxophonist allure wasn't in the fulfillment of a love affair, but in its promise. I want to kiss you, he said. These were among his 10 English words, and he didn't need them because the way he tried to press his mouth to mine made his intent obvious enough. We haven't even had a date, I tried, as if that had ever stopped me before. And admittedly, it would have been easier to kiss him than converse with him. But I love you, he said, trying to kiss me. You don't love me. You want to fuck me. He nodded as if I finally understood. Yes, he said. I want to make fuck, but also I love you. Uh-huh. You are beautiful, and I want to make fuck, he repeated, now that this option was on the table. I'm sure you do, I said. For every backward step I took, Benny took one forward. He nodded and twisted his face into what could pass for sincere. Our bodies projected shadows in the yellow blaze of a nearby street lamp. We stood at the edge of the terrace against the stone wall, the sea shimmering far below. That's fine, I said, but I don't want to leave my mother for too long. We should go back. When he looked confused, I said, Mama, and pointed toward the club. He nodded. We will have a date tomorrow, he said in Italian. I will pick you up on my moto. We will go to the beach. Where, I asked, catching all of it, but the last part because the Spanish and Italian words for beach are nothing alike. To the sea, he said in English. What time, I asked in Spanish. Dieci, he said. Diez? I held up all my fingers and Benny nodded. 
I told him the name of our hotel. It was one of those third drink decisions. And I reasoned that most of us just want to make fuck. At least Benny had been upfront about it. Sometimes the fewer words we're able to exchange with each other, the more honest we become. Benny smiled and said, back to work now. When I got back to the club, the dance floor was still empty. I didn't really want to go on a date with Benny, but I wasn't sure how to say no. I also knew my mother wanted to be witness to my Greek love affair, and I didn't know how to say no to her either. It had always been this way with us. She had such a profound influence on me, and in some ways I wanted to be just like her. In other ways, I wanted to learn who I was separate from her. I found her at the bar and said, let's go. But I just ordered another drink. The club's neon lights strobed across mother's face. It's like vinegar. It costs me good money, she said. Bring it with you. How can I? I took the glass off the bar and held it inside my jean jacket. This is how. Let's go. Suzanne. This way it won't be wasted. We can give the glass to Benny tomorrow, I told her as we left the club. Tomorrow? I sort of made a date with him. That's good, Mother said. We ended up getting lost on the way to the hotel, and she asked, Why are you leading me through the back alleys of Greece? I'm not trying to. You're not lost, are you? No, I lied. We walked past a group of stray cats eating what looked like noodles off sheets of newspaper. Ahead of us, an old woman distributed the food and cats competed for it, snarling and hissing at one another. It smells like urine, my mother whispered. Oh, why did you bring me into the back alleys? Mom, this is Santorini. There are no back alleys. Stop saying that. Here, have some wine. I handed her the glass. She nodded and drank. A man walked toward us on the path, and she spun around and ran the other way, up the cobbled stairs, spilling the wine as she went. I followed her, shouting, Mom! Mom! The next morning, Mother asked if I was going to have a date with Benny. I told her I wasn't. That's good, she said. But do give back the wine glass. Last night, you were trying to set me up with him. I was not. I wouldn't do that. Don't be daft. She rifled through her suitcase and pulled out her bathing suit. You did. Well, you got us lost in the back alleys with stray cats, she said. Luckily, I found the right way to go. By running away, I said, got us going in the right direction, didn't it? And away from the hobos. Hobos? What hobos? You know what, hobos. Why do you ask me things you already know the answer to? Why are you so afraid of everything? I asked. Why are you so mean? We stood there, looking at each other, neither of us willing to answer the other's question. I knew the answers would have been too difficult, so I ended the standoff by apologizing. She nodded and went to the bathroom to change. I waited in front of the hotel and heard the motor of Benny's moped straining up the hill before I saw him. He wore faded jean cutoffs, a white t-shirt, and sandals made from woven straw. 
He motioned for me to get on the back of the bike. I tried to explain first in English and then in Spanish that I wasn't coming, but Benny just half smiled, patting the vinyl seat behind him. I changed my mind, I said. And when Benny still didn't seem to understand, I said in Spanish, I changed my mind, mixing up verb tenses so it came out in the present tense, making it seem more right than before. You don't like the beach? We'll have coffee instead, Benny said, patting the seat again. No, it's not that. It's just that I don't want to leave my mother. She's sick, I lied. Mama sick. Mama enferma, I said, hoping the Italian word for sick resembled Spanish. It doesn't. So Benny stared at me, pressing his lips together. Then he exhaled and asked, So we are finished. Because I didn't have the words to explain, I said, Yes. Benny shook his head, not trying to conceal his disappointment. But I like you too much. He crossed his arms over his chest. I nodded. He started his moped and sped back down the hill. I stood there holding the empty wine glass. I couldn't figure out how to explain and give it to him. So I left it at the hotel bar on my way back up to the room. I know it would have made a better story had I gone with Benny to the sea. Sometimes my literature students wonder what a character in a novel might have done in another circumstance, or what might have happened if a character had acted differently, chosen another path. What if Edna Pontellier could have divorced her husband? Would she still have walked into the sea? The point I tell them is not what didn't happen, but what did. Anything else is off the page. That evening, my mother and I went for appetizers at a balcony restaurant under the windmill in Ia. The sun dropped like a stone into the water. The sunset crews sailed by below the whitewashed buildings, the blue domed roofs, and the rocky caldera. An older gentleman at the next table smiled at my mother. She smiled back and whispered to me, See, I can still get an old codger. Or a young one, I said, and we laughed. Saxophone music rode the wind. Do you hear that? Mother asked. I wonder if it's Benny. How many saxophone players are in Santorini, I asked. And we both laughed again. My body felt full of what ifs and why nots. I liked Benny from afar, the smile, the wink, the boundary of desire. I wondered what would have happened if I had gone with him on the back of his bike, winding paths to the sea. But that's off the page. The ending of my Greek story was right there, sitting in the salty pink sunlight, laughing with my beautiful mother, listening to the far off notes of a saxophone. You've been listening to There She Goes, a storytelling podcast created by two women travelers and recorded from their homes in Alabama and Louisiana. Our theme music is a selection from the song City of Refuge, 
created and performed by Abigail Washburn. Thanks to Jay Burgess for engineering. Thanks to our amazing writers for proving how essential women's stories are and for bringing their voices to There She Goes. And thanks to you, our listeners, for coming along. We hope you'll be back next week for another story and another stamp in your new passport.